just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your week is starting off nicely. You know, I've been on TikTok for a little over a year. I've been doing the podcast for four or five months, something like that. And in that time, I get a lot of positive responses to my post and to the podcast. And for that, I'm appreciative. But there are some friends of mine, some followers of mine that will come on with some negative comments on my post or with the podcast. And what they'll typically say is, oh, Donald Trump will never be charged with anything. He'll slip through it. He'll buy his way out of it. The Republicans will never pay a price for all the things they've done. Democrats are weak. The Republicans and Donald Trump will just get away with it. And I got to be honest, when I see those things, whether they are friend or foe, that pisses me off. Because that's just a defeatist attitude. I have nowhere in my mind the ability to be a defeatist because there is no money in being a defeatist. You don't go into something assuming you're going to lose or assuming the worst for yourself because then what's the point of even getting out of bed? What's the point of putting one foot in front of the other? What's the point of having any hope for the future? If you truly believe what you're saying, There is no hope. You should curl up in a ball in the corner in the fetal position and just give up. Well, none of us want to do that. See, the thing about it is, is I think people get frustrated about people not being accountable. And instead of showing outrage and instead of trying to do something about it, some of these people will take the tact of being a pouting little kid. Well, I didn't get my way, so I'm just going to say it's not going to work and forget about it. I don't care. You can just do whatever you want. That's a standard strategy with uh, narcissists. Not that all narcissists do this, but having had some experience with narcissists, once they get cornered or once they don't get what they want, they'll say, forget it. I don't need anything. Fuck you. Just keep it all. And it's a childish mentality. And it's not positive to live your life, to assume the worst. I have people around me that do that. They assume the worst, and I get frustrated with them. I go, don't fucking do that. You go, oh, you can get all spiritual on me? I go, no. It's not even about spirituality. It's about your own head. Your own head controls everything you do. If you have nothing but negative thoughts and assume you're going to lose, your head will make you lose. If your head believes you can win, then maybe you have a chance of winning. But even if you don't win, all you do is you back up and say, well, I made the wrong choice there. Let's take another stab at it at a different angle, and I'm going to win this time. It's a better attitude to have in life in general. And when we're talking about Donald Trump, the Republicans, the undermining of democracy, we better have a fucking positive attitude going after this, and we better be prepared to fight. And if we're going to fight, we should assume we're going to win. Otherwise, our country hangs in the balance. So I get very frustrated when I hear these things. Because in this podcast, I think we're starting to see the beginnings 
of the wheels coming off the bus for the Republicans and for Donald Trump. There's a lot of shit going on. And for all those people that say nothing's happening, well, if you believe that, you're not watching too closely. Donald Trump's company has been indicted. That's a death knell for the company. Georgia is working on putting together grand juries for him trying to obstruct an election, him trying to create voter fraud or election fraud. They're going to indict him. The Manhattan District in New York, there's all kinds of shit going on there. It's going to happen. They will only get to Donald Trump at the last moment. They're going to build their case from the bottom to the top, and Donald's at the top, so it's going to take a while to get to him. But there are some things going on right now that are starting to show some erosion of this wall that the Republicans and Donald Trump have had up for four and a half years. Now, you know, the House Select Committee, we've been talking about them in the Mark Meadows situation. He was going to testify. Now he's not going to testify, but he somehow turned over 6,000 documents. We'll talk about that in a bit. But here's what happened. The House Select Committee has voted to refer Mark Meadows to the Department of Justice for criminal contempt of Congress. The next step is that it will go to the full House. They will vote. And given that Democrats are the slim majority, it will pass in the House, the full House, and he will be referred to the DOJ, and then they decide whether to charge him. Well, the fact of the matter is what he's being charged with and what he did or didn't do is the exact same thing that Steve Bannon did, and he has been charged. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Mark Meadows. Because he's really caught between a a rock and a hard place. I mean, he doesn't want to testify because he doesn't want to piss off Donald Trump. Yet he handed in 6,000 documents that gave away a lot of of compelling information. A lot of information that implicates him and Donald Trump and others as well. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But if he does not go because he doesn't want Donald Trump to be mad at him... Now he's definitely going to court. He's going to go on trial, and he's going to be charged with criminal contempt. Year in jail, $100,000 fine, bad mark on your resume if you hope to have any political career after the the, uh, demise of Donald Trump. So he's really in a problem. He's really got a lot of problems. And to be perfectly honest with you, with some of the things that have come out about Mark Meadows in the 6,000 documents that he turned over, he's got bigger problems than a subpoena. His problems might be more in line with an indictment. And that is going to spell huge problems for Mark Meadows. Now, we've heard about a few things. You know, we, we heard about some things that have come out of those documents that the House Select Committee has released Uh, There was one document or text or something that uh, somebody was talking about their plans to overthrow the election and overthrow the government. Mark Meadows' response in text was, I love it. Oh, you love it, huh? Well, Mark, you understand that this is illegal, highly illegal. 
And now that you've turned it over to the House Select Committee, they can expose it, send it over to the DOJ, and you could be indicted for just that. But it doesn't stop there. There was a PowerPoint presentation in those 6,000 documents outlining the whole process for overturning the election and overthrowing the government. And this is all tied to Mark Meadows. That in itself is sedition or treason, and it's tied to him. But here's the thing we heard today that I find pretty interesting. Now, you remember Liz Cheney, a Republican, is in the House Select Committee. I think she's the vice chair of the House Select Committee. And Liz is not stupid. And Liz can be mean as hell. Remember who her dad was, Dick Cheney? That fucker was Satan. So with Liz Cheney getting a little bit of Dick Cheney in her, I don't want her on my ass. And she's going after her very own Republicans. Now, Liz Cheney of the Select Committee read texts to Mark Meadows coming from those 6,000 documents that were sent to her. The thing about it is, is we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg of those 6,000 documents. We've still got all those other documents coming from the National Archive as soon as the Supreme Court says, yeah, Don, you have no case here. Get the fuck out of here. But we're dealing with the 6,000 now. And one of the sets of text or several sets of text that uh, Liz Cheney read were from a number of Mark Meadows' colleagues in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th during the insurrection. You have to remember, Mark Meadows was a congressman. And so these are all people he's dealt with and has known for a long time. Well, it turns out that several of his colleagues in the U.S. Capitol who were there during the siege um, were pretty upset. They were scared. They were worried about what would happen. They're talking about, well, they're coming to the Capitol. They breached the Capitol. Now there's a um, an armed standoff at some other part of the Capitol. They're all stating this to Mark Meadow during the con- uh, the insurrection. And they're saying, you need to get Donald Trump to do something. You need him to step up and speak out. Stop these people. It's getting dangerous. It's getting terrible. Please have Donald Trump say something to stop these people. Now, I don't know if Mark Meadows did anything with those texts, but Donald Trump sat idly for 187 minutes. That's over three hours of doing absolutely nothing. But the text didn't stop there. Apparently, a bunch of people from Fox News also texted Mark Meadows to get Donald Trump to react. People like Laura Ingram. Sean Hannity, Brian Kilmeade, even Donald Trump Jr. texted Mark Meadows, which I think is weird. I mean, yeah, your dad is president, but don't you think Don Jr. could pick up the phone and talk to dad directly? Don't you think that's an option for a son, a son who's named after him? You can't call the guy fucking direct? Apparently, Donald Trump didn't feel he could or he was too afraid to confront Donald Trump Jr., so he thought he'd lay it off on Mark Meadows. 
But all of these people have said the same thing. you got to get him to stop this. He's ruining everything that he accomplished in his time as president, which I have to question because I don't think he accomplished anything. But that's what they felt, and they said he was ruining it for himself, that he was destroying everything that they had worked for. They said, it's, this is going to hurt everybody, including us. You've got to stop it. But still, Donald Trump did nothing for 187 minutes. Three hours and seven minutes, he did nothing. People from the U.S. Capitol in the insurrection, friends from Fox News, his own son, tried to implore him to do something. They knew all he had to do was get on TV and say, look, you must stop this. You must stop this, back off, stand down, whatever, but you need to pull back. And the thing about it is, is he didn't do it. All we saw that he was doing is watching it on TV, wallowing in the violence. He fucking loved it. He knew he had lost the presidential race, so this was his only shot. Mark Meadows, in the 6,000 documents that he turned in, it showed him saying to somebody, yes, I have the National Guard on standby which is a good thing because, well, it got ugly that day. Unfortunately, the National Guard never did show up until the very end when they weren't needed. The troubling thing about it is that Mark Meadows said in this document, yeah, they'll be there to protect the pro-Trump people. What? The fucking pro-Trump people? They're the ones that caused the insurrection. So does that mean they were going to fight against Black Lives Matter to keep the pro-Trump people safe? Well, that's great, but uh, Black Lives Matter wasn't there. The only people these insurrectionists were fighting were the police. And what about the Republicans constantly screaming about Blue Lives Matter? But if Mark Meadows' plan was to use the National Guard to fight against whoever was fighting against his trump it would have to mean that he had them intended to fight against the police in hopes to making this insurrection succeed, overturn the election, overthrow the government. Well, if that was Mark Meadows' intention, he's gotten all these texts from everybody, and he ignored it, or Donald Trump ignored it, you have to believe that Donald Trump and Mark Meadows were in on it from the very beginning. The very fucking beginning. It's, it's, it's amazing to me that that isn't obvious to everybody. Well, the fact of the matter is, I think it's becoming more obvious, obvious to everybody. And uh, things are getting exposed slowly for sure. But it's hard to deny these things that are the documents that... Um, Mark Meadows turned over. That's the ironic thing here, you know. Mark Meadows doesn't want to testify in front of the House Select Committee, but he just hands them 6,000 documents. He writes a fucking book with all kinds of uh, information that makes him and Trump culpable, but yet he doesn't want to sit in front of the House Select Committee. And why? Because he won't do a very good job. He'll be embarrassed. He'll be cornered. He'll probably say something stupid. And more importantly, Donald Trump will be watching the whole time, and he will be furious 
with Mark Meadows. <laughs> it's truly ironic what what these people are willing to do to save their friendship with Donald Trump. Now, here's the other interesting thing about these texts of Mark Meadows that he turned over. They're exposing the facts that Meadows had frequent conversations with sitting members of Congress regarding this insurrection. And it wasn't them saying, please help us. It was coordinating with these people. Now, the House Select Committee knows who these sitting congressmen are, or congresswomen. They're not telling us now because there's probably some indictments and maybe some expulsions coming. But Mark Meadows himself turned over evidence that he, the White House, were dealing directly with people in Congress concerning January 6th. And here's the even crazier thing. Remember Jeffrey Clark. Jeffrey Clark was the deputy attorney general in the DOJ. He was working on ways to con the uh, swing states into not certifying elections. You remember, he's the one that drafted a letter that was to go to Georgia that said, hey, there's all kinds of uh, election fraud. Don't certify the election. And this is a direct order from the DOJ. Well, as I've said many times, the attorney general at the time, Rosen, said, nah, we're not going to do this. But here's what's interesting. It turns out that Jeffrey Clark had ongoing conversations with sitting members of Congress. Here's a guy that's planning to figure out a way to overturn elections and overthrow the government, and he's having ongoing conversations with people in Congress. That's an interesting tie, because if they're also talking to people about the insurrectionist and coordinating with Jeffrey Clark. Now, remember, Jeffrey Clark was a fucking nobody. He's not even that smart. But he wanted to do what Donald Trump wanted to do. And what did Donald Trump want to do? Wanted to fire Rosen, install this idiot as AG, so he would do Donald Trump's bidding. And this whole process, he's also talking to members of Congress. Well, that's a very suspicious turn of events, and it's not hearsay, and it's not somebody who they're going to say, oh, he lied about this. This is fucking documented, and this was handed over by Mark Meadows. It's fucking amazing to me. It's got to be one of the stupidest things any Trump official has ever fucking done. I mean, thank God he did, because this stuff is being exposed. They can't dispute it because it's in their own handwriting, their own typing, or their own texts. They can't deny it because there it fucking is. And Mark Meadows turned it over, yet he doesn't want to talk about it. Seems weird, seems strange. But you see what's happening here. A lot of stuff is coming out of the House Select Committee. Information is dribbling out. And it's absolute evidence against Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, Jeffrey Clark, members of Congress who were all involved in the insurrection who were all involved in trying to overturn the election and overthrow the government. And it's all in documentation by their own hands. Now, for all of those that say, oh, nothing's happening, nothing will ever come out, it'll all get hidden. Well, if you still think that, you better fucking open up your eyes and your ears, because shit is starting to come out. 
And yes, it's maybe slower than you like, but it's coming out. And this stuff is pretty compelling. So when it gets fully out, it's going to wreak havoc on the Republican Party, on Donald Trump, his administration, his family. Anybody that's sidled up next to Donald Trump is going to be fucking in trouble. There's no question about it. Now, here was, here's what's interesting about the House Select Committee. The House Select Committee is doing everything behind closed doors, and I know that's upsetting people. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know if they've got anything. Well, they've deposed over 300 people. They not only, don't, they not only have something, they probably have everything at this point. They don't even need to talk to Mark Meadows or Donald Trump. They have probably enough to expose them for what they are and ultimately send them to the DOJ for any number of crimes, for indictments. But just to put a cherry on the top, this is what Benny Thompson said, the chairman of the House Select Committee. He said, look, uh, we're going to be doing weeks, not days, weeks of public hearings, bringing some of the people they've already deposed up and asked questions in public, on TV, in prime time. And there you have the end game. That's the end game, is to get these people in front of an audience, ask them the tough questions. They lie, they go to jail for perjury. They tell the truth, Donald Trump and the Republicans are fucked. Because there's no question that they've done some questionable things. So they said it's going to happen in the first quarter of 2022. So that means like uh, January to March in that area. It'll probably happen sooner than later. But this stuff is going to be on TV and it's going to be like Watergate on steroids because it's going to be more earth shattering because there are more crimes than just the one that we had with Watergate. There are more crimes and this will have more, more witnesses and it will go on longer. And you have to understand why they're doing it this way. Why are they waiting for the first quarter of 2022? They want to stretch this out a little bit. People have a tendency to forget things, at least in this country. So they want this thing ongoing for several weeks in the first quarter of 2022. So it has the most impact coming Election Day 2022. And it is going to have an immense effect on 2022. A lot of Republicans are going to be in trouble. Some sitting Congress members are going to be expelled because they have to be expelled for the things they've done once it's exposed. As much as you think nothing's going on, there is a lot going on and there will be more. And it's starting to snowball and it will get bigger and louder and more dangerous for Republicans as time goes on. Mark Meadows goes over to the DOJ. He gets charged with criminal contempt of Congress. That's just the start of it. Mark Meadows is probably in line to get an indictment as well. And once you indict the former chief of staff for the president of the United States, it's not long before the president of the United States gets indicted. Now, people have said to me, do you think he'll get indicted? I think he'll absolutely get indicted. There's no way not to indict him with all the investigations and all the things going on. 
at least one of those is going to produce an indictment. Chances are all three or four of them are going to cause indictments, and it's going to be a shit show. Donald Trump will be hobbled at that point. Everybody's worried about him running in 2024. He's not running in 2024. He's going to be so taken apart in the next year, year and a half, he won't be able to think about doing anything, even if he's legally able to do fucking anything. It's starting to flow out now. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. The important thing that we have to understand is to follow what the Republicans always do. They always control the narrative. They're always talking about their bullshit and their lies. The job of getting this into the narrative is ours. Me doing a podcast or doing TikToks, but you talking about it, you complaining about it to your representatives, you keeping it in the frontal lobe of consciousness in this country. Everybody has to know all that went on, and everybody has to remember all that went on. And then when 2022 comes along, they think they're going to win, but they get wiped out, and then they don't have any power. And that's what we need to do when we get to that point. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back. All right, let's talk about the Build Back Better bill. We've talked about it a number of times. It's ongoing. They passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and the intent was that if they pass that bill, they've got to pass the Build Back Better bill. Joe Biden promised that it would get done. And the goal now is to get it done before Christmas. And there's a reason for that. Well, there's a number of reasons for it. They need to get it done as quickly as they can to help them for the 2022 election. But this Child care credit that's going on ends in December unless something is done to extend it. This, of course, would extend it, the Build Back Better bill. Now, what I find very interesting about the Build Back Better bill is we still have people saying, oh, how can we afford that? Who's going to pay for it? What's that going to do to our children in the future? It raises inflation. It adds to the debt. We can't do that. Now, you'd think that'd be the Republicans saying that, and maybe they are, but they don't matter because the Republicans are not going to vote for the Build Back Better bill. Only the Democrats need 50 votes and Kamala Harris to break the tie for it to pass. Now, of course, the big problem is Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kristen Sinema from Arizona, And they want to question, how do we spend this much money? How is that possible? And as I've said before, it's ironic. It's ironic because they don't worry about spending. They don't worry about the debt for some bills, just the bill that comes back to the middle class. As I've said before, They haven't done something for the middle class in over 80 years. These are people we elect. These are people we pay. These are people who are charged with taking care of us. Yet somehow in 80 years, they have not chosen to do anything for us. That should make you fucking mad. And now these two people, Manchin and Cinema, are crying and whining about how expensive this $1.75 trillion Build Back Better bill is. 
But here's what I find weird. Just last week, they passed the defense budget to the tune of $778 billion, three-quarters of a trillion dollars. Now, nobody bitched about that. Nobody complained that it was too much or it was going to add to the deficit or it was going to cause inflation. Nobody said a fucking word about it. Everybody voted for it. It was a bipartisan vote in the House of Representatives. It was like a fucking rubber stamp. They didn't care a bit about it. And that's Democrats and Republicans. But here's the thing to consider about it. What to consider about it is the $1.75 trillion back to the middle class that hasn't happened in 80 years is spread out over 10 years. The defense budget for three quarters of a trillion dollars is for one year. They did it last year. They'll do it this year. They'll do it the year after. They do it the year after. And nobody blinks a fucking eye. That tells you a lot about our Congress. And I'm talking about Democrats or Republicans. There's no problems. There's no hassles. There's no difficulties in getting the defense budget passed in spite of the fact that, hey, didn't we stop the war? Didn't Joe Biden end the war in Afghanistan? We were spending $300 million a day in that war, but now we're not. So we need to raise the defense budget? I I don't get that. That makes no fucking sense. But what it comes down to is the military-industrial complex, you know, like, uh, like Dwight Eisenhower warned us about back in, what, 59 or 60, said they could take control of things and determine our government to a certain extent, control our government to a certain extent. So we've got the military-industrial complex, and this budget pretty much goes to them. They build weapons, technology, whatever. Whether we need it or not, they're building it, putting money into their pockets. And then when they put their billions in their pockets, they then stuff the pockets of the people who represent us in order to protect them so they can continue to grift the country. Now, I'm not against defending this country, but $778 billion, a little excessive for the position we're in. And if you're going to spend $778 billion in the Defense Department... Don't kick about $1.75 trillion over 10 years to give it back to the people of this country, the backbone of this country, the people that pay the most taxes. It's fucking outrageous. And the reason I bring that up again, because apparently Joe Biden and Joe Manchin are in talks, negotiating. Now, I don't know what Joe Manchin wants because he's not very clear about it. But he definitely does have trouble with this Build Back Better deal. I suggested something in a previous podcast. We kept hearing about $1.75 trillion for this Build Back Better budget, but the House passed a $1.9 trillion Build Back Better budget, which seems weird. They settled on $1.75, but they passed $1.90. And what I suggested in the previous podcast, I expect to see this time around. Now, Joe Manchin likes to flex his power and says, I don't know if I'm going to vote for this. Well, that motherfucker better vote for it because Joe Biden promised it would be passed. 
And if Joe Biden ends up looking stupid or lying to the American public and to Congress, he's got all kinds of fucking problems. Now, Joe Biden's not stupid. He knows how to use his office. He knows how to use the Senate. He knows how to use his power over some piddly-ass senator from West Virginia. But it's about time he starts to exercise it. And maybe he is in these little bits of negotiations that are going on. Because he truly wants to have it passed by Christmas. And I think it's important that he does that because he promised that. And he needs it to further his economic policies. And when he does it, it's going to do a number of great things for people in the middle class. People will love it. They will love it, and they will love Joe Biden and Congress for passing this. Even though most people don't really know what's all in it, you should take the time to fucking read it because it's going to make a huge difference in your life when it passes. And don't tell me about, well, where are we going to get the money? You know where we're getting the money. We're going to be taxing the rich who don't pay taxes now. Long as the rich pays for it, what do you care unless you're a billionaire? If you're not a billionaire, you should be for the Build Back Better bill. So they're going back and forth. And what I said in a previous podcast was it's weird. They said they wanted a $1.75 trillion uh, Build Back Better bill, but they passed a $1.9 trillion bill. Why would you do that? And what I surmised from that is understanding that politics is one big game, one big fucking performance. What I surmised from that was the House is going to send the $1.9 trillion over to the Senate. And Joe Manchin's going to kick and make demands and cry and whine about how much money it is. And then he'll take his pen out and he'll pull out certain things from the budget or from the bill. So he can show he's got power and control. But what I'm expecting is he'll only pick out about uh, $15 billion. Because then everybody's happy. The Democrats get the $1.75 trillion they were planning on. Joe Manchin gets to peel out $15 billion, uh, basically, which was, uh, I don't know, it, it was just slop for the Democrats. They knew it was going to get pulled out. They pulled it, put it in there so Joe Manchin could look good. And that was probably one of Joe Manchin's um, predicates for this thing got to give me something that will make me look good. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. What I'm guessing might happen here, what I'm guessing might happen here is what will happen is they'll send over the 1.9, try to get it passed through the Senate. Joe will want a bunch of stuff out of it. Instead of $15 billion, he'll maybe say $30 billion. And then it'll go back to the president, and they'll fight over it, argue it, put on this big fucking show, and then they'll finally settle at $1.75 trillion. And all the time, wasting time to get the benefits to the people who need it the most. But they have to put on this show so they look good to their uh, voters when it comes to Election Day. It's absolutely bullshit. But this bullshit happens in Congress and in government generally, locally, and nationally, that's just about perception, about posturing. It's all bullshit. And all they're doing is playing with our lives and our money. 
And they're just trying to manipulate us to believe that they're the tough guy. They're the smart guy. They know everything. The most ironic thing about this thing with Joe Manchin is West Virginia is an incredibly poor state. Incredibly poor state. There's a lot of people in his state that would benefit quite a lot from the Build Back Better bill. And isn't he supposed to be representing those people? Well, he doesn't seem to care. And for whatever reason, he'll probably get reelected. I fault the people in this country for not paying attention, not looking at what's happening, just listening to slick fucking commercials. What did your guy really do? What did he really do for you? And what didn't he do for you that he should have done? That's what people need to focus on. Then you'll make more informed votes. You'll do what's best for you as opposed to whatever somebody tells you to do or fools you to believe they've done for you. And that has to happen with Joe Manchin. Now, people will get mad and say, we got to get rid of Joe Manchin. Now, you don't want to get rid of Joe Manchin. As much as Joe Manchin is a pain in the ass, he is a Democrat in West Virginia. Anybody that's going to replace him is going to be a Republican. And if they replace him with a Republican, then, of course, we have a different balance in the Senate. So you got to keep Joe Manchin in there. The only way to deal with him is to get a larger majority in the Senate, where he is a non-factor. We need to get more Democrats in Senate seats Give the Democrats a bigger majority, and then Joe uh, Joe Manchin isn't as important. He's just not important. I want to talk a little bit, too, about the filibuster over and above this Build Back Better bill that we've got to get passed. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It will get passed. It will get passed. Trust me on this. might be a little different than we know it now, but it will get passed. It has to get passed. Joe Biden's not going to let that fail. He can't, because that will be the end of the Democrats if he allows that to happen. It will get done. But there's other things that we need to focus on after that Build Back Better bill, and the main one is the voting rights bill. We've got states all over the country changing voting rights, suppressing votes. And the only way to save us from these people ripping down the Constitution, is a voting rights bill. Now, Manchin and Cinema love voting rights. They're all for voting rights, but they're against the filibuster. The fuck? Well, they think the filibuster is very important, and if we don't have the filibuster, it'll hurt things in this country. It'll tear down this country. Well, that's funny. That's funny because... uh, This week, they are going to vote in the Senate for raising the debt ceiling. Now, the Democrats have been wanting to pass this because usually it's a rubber stamp. It's an easy pass because they do it every time, every other year, whatever it is. They have to do it or the uh, results from not doing it are so damaging to this country. Nobody wants that to happen. Yet Mitch McConnell keeps acting like the tough guy and says, we're not going to help you. We're not going to do anything. 
Well, Mitch McConnell doesn't want it to happen any more than the Democrats because it's going to hit him just as hard. It's going to fuck him over as bad as it does the Democrats. But again, it goes back to what I said before. It's all about perception. I'm the tough guy. I'm going to get what I want. Again, it doesn't matter what the people need. It's what I want to do for myself. And that's Mitch McConnell in a nutshell. So my point here is we got this big fight with the filibuster. And Mitch McConnell said he would use the filibuster in this debt ceiling race, meaning the Democrats would need 60 votes. Well, they only have 50 Democrats in the Senate, so they would need 10 Republicans to vote for it in order to pass this debt ceiling. So that's not going to happen because we know the Republicans already said, yeah, we're not helping you out here. We're not helping you out. We're not voting for that shit. So we're stuck. Mitch McConnell's playing the hard guy. Everybody thinks, oh, Mitch is tough. He's not going to cave. But from the beginning, I told you, and I'll tell you again because it's going to happen in the next day or so, Mitch McConnell fucking caved. And he caved because he had to. This whole thing about being against raising the debt ceiling, big fucking bluff to try to own the Democrats. There is no way he was going to let us go into default on our loans and ruin the country's economy because it would affect his people just as much as Democratic people. It was never going to happen. So what happens here? They come to some agreement. They carve out the filibuster. And on this deal, with the debt ceiling, now they only need a simple majority, 51 votes. That means 50 Democrats and Kamala Harris breaking the tie. Now, the Republicans refuse to, pay, uh, to, refuse to vote on it, but Mitch McConnell caved. He let them carve out this filibuster, this thing that's supposed to be so important and so important to the future of our country and our government. On this one, they found a way to carve it out and get it passed because Mitch McConnell knew it needed to be passed. So Mitch McConnell caved. And it also illustrated that cutting out this filibuster doesn't do shit. It helps to get things done. So now what's weird is when we're dealing with the voting rights and they need to carve out the filibuster. But, of course, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans won't vote for it. They won't get the 60 votes. So now they have to carve out the filibuster. You think they'll be able to do it? Well, Joe Manchin says, oh, no, that's dangerous. Well, Joe, you didn't think it was dangerous when you carved it out for the debt ceiling. Why is this fucking different? You like voting rights. You think they're important, but you're worried about the filibuster on this one. Well, that's disingenuous. That's bullshit. That's posturing. That's trying to get something for your vote because one time in your life, you got a little power. So... What's going to happen is probably something similar to the debt ceiling. They'll carve something out specifically for the voting rights bill, and it will pass. I know there's a lot of people out there that have been complaining. I don't like Joe Biden anymore because he hasn't passed the voting rights bill. Well, bitch, he's only been in this job for less than a year. How much stuff do you think he's going to get done? He understands the importance of the voting rights bill. He knows it needs to be done before 2022, but he's been in the process of passing all, all a bunch of things. 
And see, this is where I have problems with people. Not only did they think that when Joe Biden came into office, Donald Trump would be cuffed and thrown in jail immediately. They assumed that the moment that Joe Biden came into office, all the problems that Donald Trump created would be fixed. Unfortunately, that's not how fucking government works. It just doesn't work that way. Everything's slow. You got to take it a step at a time. Now, it's important. It's important to get this Build Back Better bill done because that's going to be the hard one. You need to get Joe Manchin on the side, get bought in and get it done. Now, when the voting rights bill comes up, now Biden can be a little tougher on Joe Manchin. Basically say, Joe, if you don't fucking help us cut out the uh, filibuster, you're going to look like an asshole because you're against voting rights. And we know he doesn't want to be given that appearance. So now the pressure is going to be on him. Here's what's going to happen. Any good businessman would do this. They're going to get as much as they can out of Manchin on the one important thing they need him the most, where they have the least amount of leverage. They're going to placate him. They're going to deal with him. They're going to get it done. And once it's done, shit's going to get tough on Joe Manchin. He, they're not going to play around with him anymore. As president and Chuck Sumer being the majority leader in the Senate, they have a lot of power over this guy. And they need to exercise that power. And people are saying, why haven't they? Why haven't they? Well, this is what you do. You don't burn a bridge until you don't need the bridge anymore or until the bridge is impenetrable to being burnt. And so in order to get the infrastructure bill, he needed Joe Manchin. But Joe Manchin wanted the infrastructure bill. So in order to get the Build Back Better bill, the Democrats said, okay, we'll help you pass the infrastructure bill, but you got to sign on this one. So it's a very tentative situation right now. They are going to get it passed, but they need to play the game with Joe Manchin just to get this Build Back Better bill done. Once that's done, the pressure's off of Joe Biden. Now he can go after Joe Manchin. He can pressure his shit. Uh, Schumer can go after him and pressure the shit. They're just trying to get through this last phase of the Build Back Better bill. Once that happens, once they have him signed on, it's passed, it's law, then the world changes for Joe Biden and Joe Manchin. Because Joe Biden will then start exercising his power, and he has a lot of it when it comes in regards to Joe Manchin and Christian cinema. you got to understand how to play the game. Nothing happens immediately all at once. It can't happen that way. So you have to be patient. You have to be confident. You have to not be not be negative about this or a self-defeating person. Because once you do that, you lose fucking everything. Do you think Joe Biden's self-defeating about the Build Back Better bill? No, I guarantee you in his mind, he thinks I'm getting it done. It will get done. And I have some ways to get it done. And that's his next step. Once that happened, the pressure's off of having to kiss Manchin's ass and hold his hand. Get what you want from them, and then once you get what you want from them, you start taking what you need. I guarantee you that's what Joe Biden's doing, and that's why he's being tentative right now. The important thing is you got to be patient. you got to just wait and watch. We're seeing things happen. It's not like nothing's happening. 
information is getting exposed. People are getting charged. There'll be more people getting indictments. We are seeing movement on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and we will see movement on the Build Back Better bill. Once that's done, things are going to change. The power is going to be a little different. And Joe Manchin, I'm surprised if he doesn't realize it already, he should, because this is not a new game. This is not a new strategy. Everybody fucking knows it. But Joe's kind of caught. He's got to react to certain things, get as much as he can, look as good as he possibly can to his voters, and hopefully get reelected when his time comes up. So you all just need to be patient. Just watch how it goes step by step. If it's not going fast enough for you, too bad. This is the way it goes. And there is a plan to this whole thing. I can see it in front of me. I can see what Joe Biden's doing and why he's being so nice to Manchin. Because right now he has to. But once that's signed, it's going to get a lot tougher on Joe Manchin. All right, let's wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me. I, I wanted to say something, too. During, uh, I think it was during one of my live, the, the live I did with Granny Jace. Got a lot of nice people coming in, a lot of people asking questions and making comments. One guy said, you know, I really love your podcast. Is there any way you could make it three hours a day? <laughs> Yeah, that's all you need is me, Mike, the Rational Boomer, talking three hours straight every fucking day. I thought I was doing a lot by doing 45, 50 minutes, six days a week. And I think I am. I think I'm pushing the envelope a little bit as to how much people can take of me. But uh, there's always something to talk about, so I have no problem doing it six days a week. But uh, yeah, probably not three hours a day at this point. Unless that's all I'm doing for the day. It's like a job at that point where I sit down at a certain time, work three hours, do my shift and move on. But I don't really want to do that because the whole idea of where I am today is that I'm not going to a job. I'm doing things I like, doing things I think are important with the podcast and TikToks and such. So (laughs) I won't say I won't ever do it. But I can't believe there's that many people out there that would want me to do it. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't want to do three hours every day. You know, it's that would be crazy. As it is, I'm doing probably three, four hours a week, which is more than enough. All right, let's wrap it up. And uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. But not for three hours, maybe 45 minutes. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.